Welcome to a special bonus edition of the Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and a member of the board of directors for the Great Commission Collective. GCC is the organization behind this podcast, and our goal both at GCC and at the Bounce is to help plant churches and strengthen pastors. And we hope this podcast is helping with that. It's encouraging to hear from those of you who are listening regularly to The Bounce. Glad you're finding it helpful. Spread the word, pass it on to others. Let folks know about the podcast. Now we're jumping in here, as I said, with a bonus episode, a little out of sequence. Typically we have a new episode out every other week, but recently Dave Harvey, who's the president of the Great Commission Collective, uh, was on with Paul David Tripp on Paul's podcast. They spent about two hours talking together about Dave's background, his life in ministry. He's been in ministry for almost four decades now, planting churches. He's been in pastoral ministry. And they talked a lot about the challenges that Dave has walked through as a pastor. And there was a particular portion of the episode that I wanted to share with you. I'd encourage you, by the way, to listen to the entire two-hour episode as you have that opportunity. We've got a link to Paul David Tripp's podcast in the show notes, and we will try to get you directly to the episode with Dave Harvey. The excerpt we're going to hear in this bonus episode, Dave talks about a season of ministry. This was back when he was Uh, involved with Sovereign Grace Ministries. They walked, as many of you know, through a very challenging ministry season. Dave was in the middle of that. And I I thought that he very candidly and yet very respectfully talked about what those challenges looked like and what was hard for him. And, And I thought for all of us as pastors who have gone through hard seasons of ministry, it's good to hear from a fellow pastor who shares how he relied on God, how God gave him grace in the midst of those, how the gospel was real for him during that time. So that's what this excerpt from Paul David Tripp's interview with Dave Harvey is all about. As I mentioned, Dave is the president of the Great Commission Collective. He is also the author of books that many of you are familiar with. When Sinners Say I Do is a book about marriage, the plurality principle about church leadership and the need for there to be a plurality in leadership. One of the distinctives of the Great Commission Collective is our commitment to plurality in leadership. And Dave's most recent book is called Stronger Together, Seven Partnership Virtues and the Vices That Subvert Them. It's an important book about how important it is for us as churches to be linked together in the advancement of the gospel. Okay, that's enough background. Let's dive in. Here is Paul David Tripp, in a conversation with Dave Harvey, and they're talking about a very challenging season of ministry for Dave. You know, when I think about the last 12 years, I think that it has formed uh, for for Kim and I, over our 41 years of marriage, uh, an unusual and uh, a kind of unprecedented period for us. and, and, and I, I should say up front that I'm, when it comes to ministry, I'm, I'm not a guy who was unaccustomed to challenges and 
organizational issues and, and problems. I, I, uh, I, I led a large church here in the Philadelphia area. And anytime you have a large church, you know, there are problems where there's people, there's problems, you you bring your problems. And, and so there uh, were all kind of uh, challenges that just were a part of life. But, uh, but yeah, I think that the, uh, the decibel level on that jacked up considerably somewhere around 2010, 2011, when the, uh, the, the organization, the denomination that I was a part of uh, came under intense scrutiny. And the leader of that denomination came under uh, intense scrutiny. And because of that had to take uh, a leave of absence. And, and so in the interim, I was appointed as the interim president and chairman of the board as the denomination went into a kind of organizational crisis. Mm -hmm. And it, he needed to step aside. Somebody else needed to lead. So let me ask you about that. So you're, you're now in that position. Uh, it's always, always, it adds layers of difficulty when you step in to the, a leadership position in the middle of a crisis. When you're there, are you thinking, this is not what I want to be doing, uh, or I'm ready for this, or what was, what was your experience? Because all of a sudden your, your world is dominated by the crisis that's going on in this group of churches and the necessity for leadership and negotiating a lot of really difficult things. That's a big move away from your primary focus being a pastor. I would say it, it forms one of several periods of my life where I just realized I, I am so unprepared and ill-equipped for this moment that I have to step into to provide leadership. So what's happening just between you and God? You, all of a sudden, you're nobody ever wants to be in that kind of church crisis, let alone you're leading this group and negoti negotiating its way through some really, really difficult things, inside and outside things. Uh, are you struggling with God's sovereignty and putting you in this position? Are you resting in his sovereignty? Where, where were you? I think that I was assuming God's sovereignty and I was assuming God's goodness in his sovereignty. Um, and that there really were good things that God was initiating, even though they were very painful. I think the majority of the people uh, that were a part of all this were assuming the changes needed to come, didn't want to see them come about in the way that they that was happening at that time. Uh, but there was a hopeful outlook, at least at first. My son once said to me, as he was going through something very painful, I said, what are you thinking? He says, sometimes God does for you things that you were afraid to do yourself, but you knew needed to happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, I do think that's part of the story. I think I was afraid, uh, I, fearful that 
I was not going uh, to do a good job. I was fearful of the impact that this was going to have on my relationships because part of what seemed necessary to me was to lead the board into an organizational evaluation and to do that by getting an outside group involved as well and then agreeing to publish the results. And uh, there was part of the, the group that thought that's a great idea and there was another part of the group that felt like that was uh, a kind of betrayal to the past. Or and these are all friends that you've been involved with in ministry for years. Yeah, and not just friends, but but uh, amazingly gospel-centered, humble people yeah. that, uh, you know, we're kind of all pulling for the same thing, but a difference in visions of how you get, how you arrive there, and then a difference of interpretation on the past, how we arrived, where we are. Can you talk to, about that a bit? Because I, I, I think this is important. Uh, how can you be in these moments where... Uh, a group that's been completely unified now divides because they have different perspectives on how the crisis of the moment needs to be dealt with. And how do you negotiate that while reminding yourself that these are brothers, they're not the enemy, so this doesn't descend into that nasty acrimony and recrimination and all that stuff that so easily happens and gives the enemy an opportunity. Well, I think that it depends on what role you occupy as to how I, I would answer that. I, I, I think that for those that are leading through it, I think there needs to be a lot of prayer and a lot of dialogue over the ground rules by which we're going to proceed and that once we agree upon a set of ground rules and we involve people from the outside and get the advice we need, then let's unite and move forward on it. I think if you're leading that um, or you're, uh, you, you have led it in the past, then I think you have to recognize that um, you don't have any ability to control what God is going to do and that you have to entrust the people that are, mm. that are going to be making decisions and, and recognize that you don't have all the information and kind of throw your weight in support of a process that, uh, you know, that may go in a direction that you don't prefer. So I, I've had that happen in my local church where uh, the elders decided on things where I didn't think it was good and wise at all, and even decided on things that affected me in ways that I thought were, you know, were unhelpful or hurtful, but because I believe in plurality mm. and because I believe that the authority, you know, of, uh, for God's church, uh, you know, rests with the elders and regardless of what polity background yeah. you're from and where you make that call. But, but I believed that, that in order to, up, 
to move forward, I needed to uphold a principle where I, I would support them even though I disagreed with them. So I think there has to be that, that willingness to uphold you know, certain principles because those are the moments when organizations are in crisis. Those are the moments where those principles become most important. So the reason I asked the question is, uh, I have to say a couple things in, in sort of introduction here. First of all, I've been saddened by the massive divisions that are in the evangelical church right now. And those divisions aren't, aren't primary, primarily theological, they're, they're political. And uh, I, I have experienced how powerful those divisions are because I mentor 14 young pastors individually and they bring in their stories. And uh, there's this pattern that gets experienced where uh, a person goes from being loved and respected and appreciated to being the enemy very rapidly because of a certain issue of disagreement. And quick accusations fly. Uh, people burn bridges as they walk their way out of the church. And... Um, so doesn't appear that the church at large is good at saying this is my brother in Christ uh, we have way more in common than our couple areas of disagreement uh, we need one another desperately because everybody's walk with God is a community project uh, we are brought together on the umbrella of Christ Church, which is his main tool of grace on earth. It doesn't seem in, those things sort of restrain the, the reactions and over issues that that seem to me uh, way down the line of importance, people will break relationship and and walk away. And you're you are in the period of time we're talking about this first part of your trilogy in a highly charged situation in a lot of ways. But you didn't have any of those, those instincts. I mean, you're, you're loving people that you disagree with, and you're trying to walk with them through this moment, uh, trying to protect the church that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Uh, and bringing my, my immaturity, you know, and my own um, sin package into the picture um, Wait, you have sin? Okay, <laughs> but turn I off mean, the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think when we recount history, it's, it's just so easy to sanitize it and to locate ourselves in our story as if we're always being acted upon by circumstances mm -hmm. and by the behavior of others. 
And so when I think about my story, in order to find God in my story and in order to apply the gospel in my story, I have to put myself in it as an active agent with all of my sins intact and in play. And and uh, and so I, I that's not just a throwaway. I mean, that's actually roped me to reality and helped me to move forward. So I, I think that because of the need to do organizational evaluation and because that wasn't a strength for us. And yet the need to have that happen while the leader was on a leave of absence became in itself a a polarizing event um, and complicated the relationships among the leaders there. Uh, it, It seemed at the time like the most responsible thing to do. It seemed like due diligence. I I still believe it was due diligence, and I think it was the right thing to publish the the information. But that kind of fragmented things a little bit. But that really, I think we could have moved beyond that. But part of that book one that I was describing to you was in the middle of that, while our, our... denomination at that time it was a network now it's a denomination but while it was under fire it's being blogged about I'm being contacted by national outlets um, I'm, I'm so unprepared for this but uh, you know it was just a constant um, pressure and and that, that feeling of of like like you are like you are Alice and you have fallen through the looking glass and you have no idea this world that's been flipped upside down and the kind of vehemence because this was before anybody understood trolls or you know what an internet attack was or even what slander looked like and and on the internet and so we didn't have categories to understand exactly what was happening and so just kind of trying to get up to speed as quickly as possible getting the help we need from the outside while all that is happening my oldest daughter went through an unexpected uh, separation. So let, let me let me just stop you right there. I want to I, I want to just go back and, and make a note of what you said. When you look when we look back on history, well, we, what we need to confess there was never a moment in any of that history where we were without sin, weakness, and failure. Never. And so. We should not tell our history as if we were. That's not helping the people you're telling your history to, and it, you're participating in your own deception when you tell your history that way. We've got to own our failures and our weaknesses, uh, wrong desires, wrong activity, and we have the ability to do that because all of that has been covered by the person and work of the Lord Jesus. We should be able to be the most honest community on earth because of what God has done. And 
removing the log from your eye is actually an application to history. If we removed the log, we would, we would not be looking at whatever happened as if we were always being victimized by everyone else. It, it calls us to first examine ourselves, but that's a backward-looking passage. And so revisionist history would, uh, yeah, the, the revision of history in our favor would at, at least be greatly diminished if that passage was applied so, as we thought about the past. So here's the danger. The uh, revision of history that makes you much more righteous than you actually were is a habit of self atonement and when you uh, erect self-atoning arguments for your righteousness, you're actually telling yourself that you don't need grace. That's deadly to your Christian experience. It's impossible to minimize sin without devaluing God's grace. And so we're not talking about something that's just, well, let's be accurate about history. The way you think about your history has enormous, enormous influence in the formation of your identity as a child of God. Am, am I saying I will, I will accept what God says about me, that at every moment in my life I'm desperately needy, I'm, I'm but a collection of weaknesses held together by God's grace. Will I accept that and tell my history that way? It, the minute you talk about your history that way, in your heart flows this appreciation of God's grace and a hunger for more versus I tell my story in a self-righteous way. And that always devalues God's grace and sets me up for thinking right now I've arrived. Uh, I see this as tracing all the way back to Genesis 3. Um, that the very character and nature of original sin is that it, it seeks to remove agency. Mm. It seeks to undermine any sense of personal culpability so that the first manifestation of sin in creation as, as accountability comes is, oh, no, Lord, you don't understand. It was the woman. And by the way, you gave her to me. Yeah. And so it's, it's not just this other human being, but Lord, you're actually implicated here as well. It's the environment, it's the circumstances, it's the past, it's the garden, it's the setup, it's you, it's her. Everyone here has been victimizing me. And the only one who is without fault is, is me. That, that instinct, which goes then to how we interpret history, is actually embedded in how sin is constantly working because then we don't need the gospel. If well, we're constantly portrayed as being sinned against, then we don't need a savior. Yeah, it just needs to be said that the, the first step in the deceptive, deceptiveness of sin is self-deception. And it's also the most powerful aspect of the deceptiveness of sin. It's self-deception. There's another thing that 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 says that, that that capacity for self-deception means that I can never say to myself, no one knows me better than I know myself. Because, because sin deceives. 
and I'm not sin-free yet, there will be pockets of inaccuracy in my view of myself. Those exist in Paul Tripp today. And so I can't blow somebody off by saying, well, well, no one knows me better than I know myself. Uh, because there will be inaccuracies. I, I, sin causes me to look at me like I'm looking in a carnival mirror. I see myself, but I see myself with, with distortions. And so I need other voices to help me see myself with, with accuracy. And so we're talking about something that's, that's really, really important. I wanted to stop because you said something about how you can't look back in your history and say, I was only ever the victim. I was the perfect person in this thing. That's never, ever true. And I just wanted to highlight that's not just about your history, but it has impact on your, your walk with the Lord right now. Because if you look back on X number of situations as the righteous one, you're just devaluing grace in your life and you're diminishing your natural cry for present grace. And, uh, and I think uh, a very common way to think about our history is to, by occupying the moral high ground in our history, we can inflict our resentment and mm. our bitterness and we can give shelter to it. And so I, I, I've had to think a lot about that and think about my own story. And if I'm called upon to tell my story to, I, I think there, there would have been times where I, I would have wanted to tell it in ways that so ennobled me and, and so made other people look like a bunch of idiots that um, it was actually more an expression of a resentful heart where I had not confessed and worked through things and applied the gospel. Well, we've been listening to Paul David Tripp and Dave Harvey talking about a, a difficult ministry season that Dave went through a number of years ago. This was a part of Paul David Tripp's podcast. And again, I'll just mention, we have a link to the podcast, the entire two hour conversation it's in the show notes for The Bounce, so you can check that out. There's also information about Dave's most recent book called Stronger Together, Seven Partnership Virtues and the Vices That Subvert Them. And there's a link to the Great Commission Collective. We'd love to have you visit our website. It's gccollective.org. Find out more about what we're doing, planting churches and strengthening leaders. That's at the heart of the Great Commission Collective. And as you read through it, if you're interested in church planting, or if your church is interested in connecting with like-minded churches, gospel-centered churches that are committed to church planting, find out more about how you could link together with us and become a part of the Great Commission Collective. Again, our distinctives are spelled out for you on the website, so visit gccollective.org. Now, as I mentioned, this is a bonus episode of The Bounce. Uh, if you're new to the Bounce podcast, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. You can go back and listen to past interviews. We try to keep things evergreen most of the time, talking about issues that we all face as pastors. So I'd encourage you to check out season one or season two or our current season of the Bounce podcast. And again, you'll find it wherever 
you get your podcasts. If you're having any trouble, just type The Bounce and my name, Bob Lapine, into the, the search engine. Lapine is spelled L-E-P-I-N-E, and that should pull the podcast up. We will see you on a regularly scheduled edition of The Bounce.